Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Croson. I am one of your hosts. He is. He's one of them. I'm alongside, as always, the magnanimous Mr. Casey Clapp. Well, thank you. Even in uh, in victory, I'm a nice guy. Yes. Is that what magnanimous means? Yes, yes. It would mean that uh, if you uh, if you defeated me, uh-huh. you would take, uh, basically, you'd be honorable, and you'd be like, all right, you lost, but you're still cool. I would take pity on you? I, yeah, I think so, sort of. That, that would be it. But I think uh, the idea is that it's more of an honorable kind of pity. Okay. Yeah. Like a good loser. Yeah. It, uh, no, no, good winner. A good winner. Yes. You're not going to rub it in everyone's faces. You'll be like, all right, great. Oh, well, let's move on. Oh, you're saying if I was magnanimous, I would be a good winner. Yes. So okay. if I am magnanimous then that would be the case yeah you know what casey i do pride myself in this i think i am magnanimous yeah that's really good uh i'm a big fan of games like board Mm -hmm. games and card games yeah and if i ever win god forbid god forbid um i would say i'm an extremely gracious winner yeah i I just like i like the fun of the game itself i don't give a shit who wins or loses yeah that's fair can i ask a question i don't think i've ever asked sure what's your favorite board game wow he looks up at his board game collection, which is vast and mighty. I don't. I don't really have favorites of all time of any uh, most of anything. Okay, what about like right now? Yeah, I'm. I really. I love this game called Campy Creatures. Campy is that a that's a, a board game specifically? Yes. Okay. It's board. It's it's cards and and a board. Isn't isn't campy kind of meaning like a little bit like uh kind of silly or like uh, uh-huh. overdone? Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 So Campy Creatures is is a game with um uh with a sort of monster movie theme. Um okay. There's you know the the vampirus and the the Ooh. King Kong type the uh. beast they call it in that mm. game. Gotcha. And it's a trick taking game, which is where you you kind of bet uh cards against your other players' cards, and whoever plays the highest card gets to do something first. Ah okay. That's sort of trick taking. People who really know what trick taking is are going to roll their eyes at that yeah, description. But that's fair. Um, you know, like the game. Uh, Thanks for it? dumbing it down for me. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I'm that. I'm dumbing it down for myself. I don't really <laughs> even know. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's so much fun. It's a fantastic two player game, and it's a, a kind of chaotic four player game. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give you one more. Yeah, please. Here's one for you, Case. All right. It's called Illimat. Illimat. Okay. And it is uh created and designed by one of the guys from uh the Decemberists. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and his wife, who's an illustrator. Uh, they also wrote a book, like the Wildwood Stories, or something like yes. that. Yes, I forget his name. I want to oh, say gosh. Chet Baker, but it's definitely not <laughs> Chet Baker. Definitely not Chet Baker. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a fun one. It's beautiful. It's got kind Is of it? a farming mm. uh, seasonal theme. I it's it's kind that. of right up our alley. Hey, it totally is. Honestly, I'd like to get him on the show and talk to him. That would be wonderful. Uh, Casey, as much as I might love it, we're not here to talk about card games and yeah, board games and that's such. Fair. We're here to talk about a tree. We sure are, Alex. And the tree we're talking about specifically today is a much requested, potentially the most requested. You think it is? Top five, at well, least. Well, yeah, certainly. But wow, um, I don't, we, should, we should try to do that, uh, that math. See, what, what, yeah. which one did they ask for the most? I, I think... I, this is this is at least top five, if not yeah. top three. All right, that's fair. It is fan favorite, beloved by all, the pawpaw. Mm, pawpaw. Every grandpa's favorite fruit. Yeah, right? I think, was it you or maybe Hannah? Someone said, where's the mama tree? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is that? Well, I, I get maybe if you cross a pawpaw with like a mango tree, oh, then the hybrid would be yeah. called the mama. Oh, I like that. That would be probably pretty tasty probably delicious yeah you'd probably like it specifically you know what i would love yeah a mango with no pit just straight mango flesh yeah all right that's fair oh i think man i would get down with that you can't you'd be it would not be a good idea the reason i think that is that Mm. um you would inevitably cut yourself while you're opening it it's the same reason why you should always have a pit in the middle of an avocado if you don't, when you're when you're cutting into it, uh-huh. you're just gonna slice right through to your hand. Okay, well that's that's a fair yeah. that's a fair argument. This is what I think. I think I would use I would put the mama on a cutting board ah. and slice through it. Okay, maybe that's fair. That's but a good if it's point. if it's round if it's oblongly round like that, it mm-hmm. might roll away. Yeah, so you got to be careful. And then I've got a gash in my hand. I'm yeah, heading to the ER. Anyway, this is dangerous fruit as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no want to talk about it anymore. About it. Uh, Casey, <laughs> let's imagine as we do every episode. That you and I, hey, how about this? I just read that the largest pawpaw tree uh-huh. is in uh, Virginia, I think. Virginia? Uh-huh. Huh. And it's between the houses of Mark Twain and Harriet Beecher. Wow, you're kidding me. <laughs> I guess they, they live next to each other? Potentially. I hope this isn't apocryphal. Oh, but let's gosh. say that that's true, and let's say we're there. <laughs> we're there to see Mark Twain's house. as right. big fans of his. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, and we come across this pawpaw tree. Casey, let's ID this tree. All right. So we have done much research uh, into how to say this name. It is Asamina Triloba. I think you did great. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. I'm going to offer, a, uh, and this may fuck us up, but I'm going to offer no. an alternative pronunciation. Okay, please do. Asimina. Asimina. I think that's very fair. I don't know if we're trying to like really stick with like the, the Greekness or the Latinness of sure. what this technically should be. Ironically enough, it's a word from neither one of those languages, a language from completely across the, the world. That's right. So I don't know. I I think I think either way is fine. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why later. I think yeah. it's maybe a cinema. Ooh. Okay. Now here's what I always wanted to say though is uh, Asimina or something like that. I'm sorry. Uh, Asimina. Am I am I just saying the same thing again? Yes. Wow. Good for me. I've got it in my brain. Alex, let me tell you about this tree. <laughs> so the uh, this is a small tree. It doesn't get more than maybe forty feet tall, like at most. Oh wow! Um, generally, it's going to be that mid story mid story tree. That's not going to be the the top of the canopy. It's not going to be at the bottom. But it is. Uh, it's just kind of one of those little ones that you you run into as you're walking through the forest. Like mm. the leaves will hit you in the face. And it grows in mostly lowland areas, kind of generally speaking. When I was in 
the Congaree National Park in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I found a bunch of them. Nothing else is out. There's almost no leaves anywhere except these gorgeous little flowers just saying hello, and they're stunning. Yeah. Have you seen these flowers? Casey. Alex. Well, we'll we'll describe the rest of the tree at wow, but so everyone no. can take a second Google that. I, I actually I, I have a controversial uh, I have a con- my first controversial take, and I hope people don't hate me for this. You know, this has been a controversy free podcast this entire time, <laughs> and you're going to start now. I just don't like I don't like stirring the pot. Okay, yeah, you're okay. I don't All like right. rocking the boat. I don't like kicking the hornet's nest. <laughs> yeah, well, be but careful. I will say, is that the other name for our listenerships? The uh, hornet's the, the nest. Hornet's nest? <laughs> <laughs> a very small one percent sect of our listeners. Yeah, there you go. Compose the hornet's nest. Uh, I don't. I I think these flowers look kind of ugly. Wow. I'm so sorry. I'm st- I'm stunned. Just yesterday, you and I were walking around. We found a Norway maple. Yeah. That was a king, a crimson king. Yeah. Varietal. Yeah, with like the purple leaves. Yes, and mm-hmm. that's the same purple I see here. Yeah. And I oh, just am not a fan of that color. That's right. You don't like that color. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, you're gonna see these flowers. Beautiful, ugly, uh, freakish, delightful. That's going to be the first thing you see in the springtime. And they kind of grow off of the twigs, um, and they just kind of angle straight down. At least that's the way I saw them. Hmm. Um, And they are this dark maroon, kind of rusty maroon, brownish color. Um, Not brown in a a dull way, but in a very bright and kind of ruby-esque kind of way. But not quite so ruby-esque that you can call it a ruby. It, that brown is, 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 I think that might be one thing that you kind of are like, no thank you. It's like dried blood. Yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. Wow, that's a really, that's a, I mean, it's perfect, but it's it's a bit, uh, yeah, I can see you don't like it. A little visceral for yeah, you. a little visceral. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think they're beautiful, and they're notably, uh, as the common name, or, I'm sorry, the scientific name suggests, mm-hmm. triloba, that specific epithet, is referring to the fact that the um, the leaves themselves, geez, the petals are in groups of three. So there's six petals and they are, there's three little ones and then there's three big ones on the outside. But you know, like you take a, you take two triangles and you can like rotate them so that now you have like six points in between each, uh, each like sort of thing. Yeah. Is that a star of David? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's exactly the shape. These kind of do the same thing, except the middle petals are half the size as the longer ones on the outside. So So is, it's like layered. Is this a unique thing in nature? This because uh, if they named it after you know trilobe, it must yeah. be a big deal. No, it's really not. Like everything okay. in the lily family, for instance, is all characterized by having um, sexual parts in groups of three. Okay, so uh, you can tell it really quickly. The uh, the trillium is another great example mm. where everything their leaves, their petals, their sepals, their flower parts, piston stamen, they're all in groups of three or six or nine or twelve or whatever you have. Okay. So it's not it's not entirely unknown. Uh, my guess is that when they're looking at it, whenever you're giving a description of a plant, you just kind of got to pick something. Usually they try to pick something that is very unique to that plant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if maybe it's just so obvious where everyone's like, yeah, try loba. There's, there's three lobes, you know? Okay. Something like that. So I'm not really sure. But... Um, as you uh, as 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 the flower comes and then goes, you'll start to see the leaves appear. So the flowers usually come as the leaves are coming out, or just before, and then the leaves come out. And oh my gosh, these leaves are so great because they're really like long and kind of floppy eared leaves but they come out left and right left and right left and right they're alternately arranged on the stem okay so when they grow outwards uh kind of flat 
they just go whoop, 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 left and right, left and right. And then they make this kind of flattish looking plane of leaves on this long kind of uh, extended twig. And it looks really interesting to me. Like you can tell really quickly because some leaves are, are kind of bunched up down at the end of a twig. Some like grow upward so they kind of are more radially uh, around. Uh-huh. But in my experience, the pawpaw grows more horizontally all the time. So you get these like flat sprays coming out. Um, yesterday, Casey, we saw a horse chestnut. Yes. And it had very floppy leaves, but mm-hmm. you said later in the season, those leaves will be sticking straight out. Yeah. Does the pawpaw ever get there, or are they are they permaflop? No, they're usually, they do uh, lift up and kind of, they, they kind of lift up, um, but then kind of, eh, at the end. Okay. You know, a little bit. But hemlockish? A little bit A little bit of a weeping yeah. sort of thing? Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. But you know, speaking of the uh, horse chestnut, uh-huh. the leaves of the pawpaw look exactly like the leaflets of the horse chestnut. Casey, they do. Is there is there a relation here at all? No, I don't think so. I don't think they're even very closely related whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, but they are, I mean, they're both uh, they're both plants, but we'd have to look at the uh, the taxonomy to see exactly where they're at. Sure, the clade. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. You're right. That was good. So uh, what they look like is essentially they have a tapering base. Um, they're obovate, but they're really wide near the end, and then they taper really gently um, down to the base of the leaf. And then at the front, they usually have a little drippish tip at the, just kind of comes to a little point at the end with veins that kind of come off left and right, left and right, um, that kind of are sprayed forward. It's a medium green. There's a little bit of hair on the bottom. And they tend to uh, lose that hair as the season goes on, which a lot of plants end up doing. The last three sentences have had so many gross words. Oh, sorry, Alex. No, it's good. Glaucusness. <laughs> you said, uh, you said, um, I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah you, you just had to block it out of your memory that quickly. Veins and yeah. hairs <laughs> and tips. And- Whoops. This is, a, this is a very sexual plant is what we're finding plant Plants yeah. themselves are very sexual. They are. They we can, are. We can see their parts yeah. uh, splayed out. Right? Everyone go calm down. Oh my gosh, spring is really getting us in the air, isn't it? Yeah, man. Well, Alex, it turns out that uh, no one really is like drawn to this pawpaw, this kind of short tree. The bark is usually utility bark. It's nothing too fancy. Mm. No one really goes out and is like, oh my God, the leaves of the pawpaw. Some people, like me, would be like the flowers of the pawpaw. So cool. But sure. 90% of the people who are out here are looking at the pawpaw and saying, give me that fruit. Where's that fruit? Yeah, man. Let's talk fruit. This oh. thing, I mean, we, you know, when when you say pawpaw, I think, oh, a pawpaw fruit. Yeah. Not even a pawpaw tree. Exactly. In the same way, when you, if you said orange, I would say, oh, like the fruit, not yeah. an orange tree. So, so accurate, Alex. Yeah. Well, this is the, the thing that everyone loves. And usually the fruit comes out in like green. Groups of two or three on the uh, on the stem, yeah, uh, and they they pop out and they look. I've heard it described as um, uh, the size of a of a of a good sized cucumber in the shape. Uh, it also looks like a mango or a papaya. Yeah, it's um, very mango like. Yeah, and they're kind of like that sort of uh, green that is very muted, almost a, a I would say a, a mint green that got bashed by lime green. To the point where they both changed color a little bit. Wow, that's that's what I see. And then it, outside, it was like sort of misting white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like not raining white, but yeah. misting white. And that is the origin story of the color of of this <laughs> precisely. Wow, where did you read this folklore? <laughs> well, no, sorry, that uh, that uh, you know just comes from inside. Alex. This is modern folklore. Yes, exactly. We're writing it as it happens. Well, it, it's just this gorgeous, uh, this gorgeous like 
like understated color of a of a fruit, and it matches really really closely with the um, the color of the foliage itself. So as you are kind of looking for it, the the funny thing is you don't really see it. Like it doesn't like a blueberry or a, a, a raspberry, something like that. They pop out. Like you can see them really clearly. Uh, juxtaposed to the green of whatever they're growing on, whereas the pawpaw does not do that. The the fruit, you have to like lift it up and find it, and you're like, ah, there it is. Once your eyes can kind of adjust to the curves and like see the difference in the texture, uh-huh. then you can kind of see them really easily. You mean but, because it's kind of, they're kind of tucked under the leaves? Exactly, okay. yeah. There's like an umbrella of leaves, yeah. and then the fruit is underneath it, and they're all the same color. Okay. That now that that sounds very tropical to me. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, you kind of have to know. Yeah, you got to smell it in mm. order to uh, in order to find it. It's not gonna. It doesn't. It uh, doesn't go out there and say, "Hey, eat me." It's just more like, "If you find me." <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it's a very koi plant. I would say. Wow, the koi papa. Yeah, exactly. Move now, over fish. Yeah, move over fish. Uh, you are no longer top of the koi chain here. <laughs> They uh yeah, but they're really they're they're just these nice little understory trees. Like I said, they don't get very tall, so you can always walk under and kind of find them. The fruit is uh I believe I've heard um it tastes like a banana that uh has a run in with a mango. Oh, here we go. And then more uh, folklore. Yeah, and then essentially Got together and then had a great time, had a good party. Uh, the love child of that party then met uh, this this orchid who was just walking through town, mm-hmm. uh, Vanilla, and then they got together, had a quick uh, sojourn, and boom, you get this uh, this flavor that's uh, very tropical in every regard. It has all the big tropical things all smashed into one. Sounds wonderful. Uh, yeah. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put out a blast here, Casey. All right. Uh, a notice. If anybody living in a part of the country that has a lot of pawpaws would like to make my year <laughs> come September, if you want to send us some pawpaws, because I don't even, I don't know if we even can buy them in Portland, Casey. That's a good question. I don't actually know if uh, if they are because they're they're no- notoriously difficult to um grow and transport yeah well that is the main reason they're not like a commercial thing is that they tend to bruise easily and they don't they don't last long okay in in a you know our modern agricultural system well maybe you can't send them but if you if there's any way to get some pawpaws here if anybody can facilitate that uh, it would be much appreciated i'm dying to try this reach out i think it's gonna be really good yeah i oh i cannot wait yeah so i i'm with you i will i will take on that uh um that daring adventure with you yeah wonderful uh one thing to note which i i always love is Mm -hmm. that technically this is a berry the papa is a berry. Is it really? That is correct. Okay. It's strictly fleshy inside with uh in in that flesh is suspended the seeds. That is oh. that's how it works. So a tomato is another quintessential example where you cut it, it's all flesh and then it has those little seeds kind uh-huh. of interspersed in there. Okay, the same way a raspberry. Well, raspberry is not a berry, right? No, exactly. That's a conglomerate of that's berries. Right. So really it would be raspberries. <laughs> <laughs> is one is one berry. I love you know? how you pronounce the P. Yeah, I really like to make Rasp sure one berries. Yeah, so each one of those, I think that's an aggregate of berries, essentially, because there's wow. one seed in one individual little, uh, those little 
pillows of the raspberry, each individual little bubble. So when you eat one raspberry, you're getting like 30 servings of fruit. Essentially, yeah. That's, yeah, exactly that's, just, right. <laughs> that's good nutrition. It's really good nutrition and tastes delicious to boot. <laughs> Casey... How about some Croson's homegrown trivia? Well, I would love to hear some, Alex. Should we have a little musical sting for this at some point? Absolutely. I thought you already had one. I imagine sort of like a, a the sound of a plant growing really fast, like, uh, and then a little poof, where it, would, it little opens up. Yeah, you know? I feel like we're just one step away from being like a, a a PBS special or something. Yeah, we're. I think we're more than one step, but I, I think we're <laughs> headed there. Yeah, that's that's where we're gonna go. Uh, Casey, let's talk the etymology. Now, this yeah. is a mess. It I just is. want to say that up front. There's a lot happening. We have several sources that are all saying different things. And our our theory, or at least my theory, and you agreed, yeah. was that all of these things are true, and they developed perhaps independently. Yeah. And so we are reading all these sources. There mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be one clear path that this word yeah. took it doesn't go a to b to c to d to here no it was yeah i think you're right i think it probably like you could follow the the trace back to multiple different potential places yeah but all of those places ultimately go back to the same like two places right you know what i mean right yeah well let's let's dive in and see if we can't make sense of this word pa 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 and the uh scientific name so the scientific name uh, which is Asimina. Triloba. Ah, thank you. Sorry. I was <laughs> I literally was like doing all of the syllables in my brain after that and completely forgot that there's more to be said. And <laughs> Casey, do you remember how I said I think it might be Asimina? Yes. Here's why. So in seventeen sixty three, uh huh, a French naturalist named Michel Adanson ah, perhaps oui. named the genus of this uh of this tree asimen which came from he took from an algonquin word asimen yep uh that word asimen the algonquin word potentially also the powhatan word yeah asamina uh-huh uh-huh is their word for this fruit yes precisely that we are calling the pawpaw they called it the asimen yes the asiminen asimen yeah. Uh, here's why I think it might be a simon, because another word, uh huh, persimmon, mm. for another fruit. I see. So I'm I'm matching pronunciations there, oh. which is why I think it's 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 uh, asimen. I gotcha. Yeah, and then min is the uh, that's the the thing that they have in common, which means maybe fruit. Yes, min is the Algonquin word for fruit. I see. Um, so I would be interested to see what other fruits are called in Algonquin. Yeah, seriously, that would be really interesting. Um, like to see what they all call fruit. You remember when we talked about taxonomy, uh, where mm-hmm. you have folk taxonomies, where maybe if they ate anything, like even if it's a nut or something like that, they yeah, would, they would still end it with a min or have min as a base word in there. Oh, sure, yeah. Curious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like calling things like. Uh, for instance, one other small piece of folk taxonomy that yeah. we found uh, in this process, Casey, um, the pawpaw, some people call it the Indiana banana. Yeah, I love that name. That's fun. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, it was the old Indiana banana. Is, like there, that. is there, a, is there a, a state that rhymes with mango? Mm, no, I'm just going to say no. I don't think so off the top of my head. <laughs> this is a Virginia mango and an uh, Indiana banana. <laughs> also... Uh, you can't deny Spanish and fr- uh, Portuguese papaya. 
Uh-huh. Sounds very much like Papa. Exactly. In fact, Alex, still in the world today, they call other peoples in other places, uh-huh. they call papaya Papa, wow. which causes a lot of confusion because people would say, oh, yeah, give me the Papa. And everyone's like, you guys have Papa? And then they get a ma- or get, get a papaya. And everyone's like, oh, what? What? That's not what I was thinking. Isn't language fascinating? It really is. And we just, uh, you know, we we throw it out and like whatever it lands on, we're like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's good. We're going to call it that. Yeah, truly. It's a a lot of fun. It's like a, it's like fun chaos. It's like walking into a kindergarten room. Whoa, (laughs) this is some interesting energy. That is, I don't think I've ever heard uh, a kindergarten class be called fun chaos. (laughs) Like, I can't imagine that being fun at all. That seems very stressful. Like, what are they doing? Oh, it's so much fun. What are they eating? Oh, my God. God, <laughs> what are they eating? String cheese and pretzels. String cheese, pretzels, and Legos. They're <laughs> eating all the Legos. Casey, did you know that the pawpaw, this blew my mind, yeah. is North America's largest edible native fruit? I, I, I don't know why, but I think in my the back of my brain, I did know that, uh-huh. but I'm not sure if I actually did, or as soon as you say it, I'm just like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Like, right. Yeah. And they're not that big. They're not that big, but we just don't have that same like tropicalness of, of things. Like you go to the tropics and all the sizes of the fruit are just just so vast and mind-blowing. Like the, the, the star fruit, the Darien, like we, I was in uh, Ecuador years ago, and there were so many fruits that I didn't even recognize just at the market all the time that were the size of an apple or bigger. Yeah. It was just very stunning. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that is a thing. Things in the tropics just grow bigger. Yeah, but they also, I think, have different things that eat them, you know? Like, there's also, mm. um, uh, well, old animals that no longer exist, which Ooh. we'll talk about in a little bit. Yes. Um, but also, there's still, like, monkeys and macaques and, like, things like that. Um, and different things that still are in the tropics that still are big enough to eat these larger things that grow there. That makes sense. Yeah, or they just are, are big, filled with little seeds, and then birds come over and just gnaw on them for a while and then there's they get enough of the seed in there so they can go and do something else they don't need to eat the whole thing interesting well speaking of eating the whole thing casey yeah <laughs> uh the it said that the that it said as if as if someone doesn't know this for sure as if many people listening don't know this for sure i, I maybe you thought you were saying <laughs> it was said it, it is said <laughs> it has been said that the taste of course of the pawpaw somewhere between a mango and a banana and a pineapple yeah. and like you said this kind of conglomeration of tropical fruit flavors uh-huh. um Custardy flesh was what was one qualifier now, I loved. I want to know what that means because custardy flesh. I don't like. I I can't like think about it. I I can't conceptualize it. Okay, imagine. Um, Is a banana custardy flesh? I would say not quite. Mm, okay, uh, it's that's a little more that's a little more fibrous. Mm. Imagine a mango. Okay, that's super ripe. Ooh. And then like a little mm. softer than that. You can you eat it with a spoon, ah. I think, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. You can freeze it. And I've, I've, I've heard, I, I read that um, George Washington liked eating his pawpaws this way. Really? Uh, freezing them. Putting them on ice. Yeah, and then, yeah, but he threw them in the freezer <laughs> and then um, ate yeah, them with a spoon. Yeah, like George Washington also took his uh, <laughs> bagel bites uh, cold. He would warm them up and then in the microwave and he just took them cold. Yeah. Anyway. You would eat them with a spoon like ice cream. 
That's they kind of turn into a frozen custard. Yeah, that okay. See, I can imagine a frozen custard. Like yeah. that makes sense to me. But like warm custard, the, it doesn't compute. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how that works. Warm custard. So anyway, again, we're gonna ask for. Please, someone send this to us so that we can we can yes, figure we out s- what this is. <laughs> we sound <laughs> we sound very uneducated on pawpaws because we've never had them. Yes, I've seen them. I have involved been involved with them. I learned them years ago, but I never ate the fruit. Such a shame. Such a shame. Such a dang shame. I can't wait until September. I'm I'm going to make it my mission to get a hold of a pawpaw. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good. We'll bring it up every every single week until then. And when I say a pawpaw, I mean a case of pawpaws. Yeah. Uh, who was it? There was somebody. Um, oh, it was in the Romans. Uh, I think it was it's somewhere in the Roman history. Mm-hmm. Um, one orator would end every, I think it was like Cato or something. He would end every one of his speeches with like, oh, and all these people should die. Like he just, they were at war with someone or like people were like, eh, should we, should we not? And yeah. he would end every single one like, oh, and by the way, I hate them. Like every single time. So I think maybe. As like a punctuation? Yeah, no, just as a sign off, you know? It's like, you know how some people at the end of their emails like, stay classy? Yeah. He would say, he would be like, also, I hate the Italians or like some, <laughs> something like that. I guess he was the Italian. So it was, it was some other wow. like, weird thing. So maybe that's what we should do. Maybe less hateful, but you can be like, all right, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening to Completely Arbitrary. And as always, please send me Papa. <laughs> just do it. I start end. signing my emails that way. <laughs> yeah. Just see who sends them. <laughs> do like some quotes in like italics. So yes. Thinks, so, <laughs> you know like, what they say. Oh, he quoted himself there asking for Papa's. Look at that. <laughs> that old chestnut, send me a Papa. Yeah, <laughs> that old thing. <laughs> uh, of course, um, uh, the indigenous people of North America have a long history with this fruit, Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite takeaway from this was uh, the Iroquois using mashing the fruit, yeah, turning it into these k- dried cakes. Yeah, um, you could eat those if you like, almost fresh, like fruit leather. Yeah. It's gonna say fresh off the uh, dry rack, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, or s- stow them away if you need to add it to a sauce later. I love. Take that. it, reconstitute it. It's a great idea. It is a great idea. I guess it's kind of like dried fruit, but this would be more like a dried mushed patty, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I almost imagine like uh, using like chocolate, melting chocolate chips to mm. make a dipping, to make a yes. chocolate sauce. Totally. You know? That would um, be so good. I wonder I wonder if people are still doing that, like mixing it with different things as like a, a delicious add-on somewhere. Yeah, they gotta know? be. Papa ice cream. You know, what would be great is putting uh, like papa preserves or like a papa coolie uh, on yeah, vanilla yeah. ice cream oh man without knowing the flavor yet i feel like that would work really <laughs> well like, i've never had it but i know i want this <laughs> some fresh mint in there yeah that and that actually uh, i heard some other things about the um the interactions that native americans had with the papa mm-hmm. which is kind of a, uh, an interesting topic we're going to hit on it a little bit later um because we're going to talk more about the ecology of this plant but it's a it's a curious thing that that uh, that plant, because of the its great delicious qualities, where it was actually um, most likely bred and pulled up into like uh, Ontario, Ontario and New York, hmm. um, when it's usually a bit more of a southern plant, um, but it can go down to I think zone six or something, which is fairly cold. I think that's like usually it doesn't get less than ten degrees uh, Fahrenheit. 
Wow. That's about zone six or zone five. Um, but then, so they would, they would essentially start breeding it and brought it up with them. So it became such an important food source that they did the same thing that they did with corn, uh, where they would basically plant them and then find ones that would grow just a little bit further north, a little bit further north, a little bit further north. Huh. And then it would move uh, with the tribes and the people through you know trade and migration. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Yeah. So it's, uh, it must be that good. Casey... We've got so much more to say about this kind of incredible tree. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, We can't say another word before taking a break. We will be right back with more completely arbitrary Send Me Pawpaws. (laughs) Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking paw, paw. Oh, yeah. The fruit's so nice, they named it twice. Wow, Casey. Yep, that's the first thing I've ever heard ever described like that. (laughs) I wonder if they grow pawpaws in Walla Walla. They probably do. I think most of the time in Walla Walla, they grow pawpaws and then uh, put it in their couscous. Oh, my God. It's pretty pretty good, pretty delicious. (laughs) And then ship them over to New York, New York. (laughs) Yes, they do. We're, we're halfway to there to writing a children's <laughs> yeah, book. I think case. we are. Yeah, this is really nice. <laughs> uh, the uh, so we talked just for a little bit about this uh, interesting uh, kind of history with the native peoples of the East uh, and their relationship with the pawpaw. Uh huh. And what is uh, what is curious about that is that is they actually picked up where other things left off. Okay. And we talked a while back, uh, what was it, the uh, the old hedge apple instead of the custard apple, which some people call this, which it is not, but it's in the custard apple family. Right. Custard apple is another thing. Yes. Yeah. That's an Anania, I think, or something uh, a similar uh, named plant. There are actually um, eight different species of pawpaw native to the southeast. Really? Yes. I thought there was one. There is. There is one that's tree, but uh, oh. or it has a tree form. All the rest are, are shrubs or diminutive plants of other sorts. Do those grow fruit? They do, yeah. They all are they all fruit. They all have at least similar fruit, um, but I haven't found anything that says they are edible or in any way palatable by humans. Wow. Yeah, but a lot of times they're just... They're not well known, but wildlife certainly know about them because they've eaten the fruit and transferred the seeds everywhere. Well, this is a big this is a big reveal. I this is excellent. I'm really happy to hear this. I can rem- I can 
imagine like a rhododendron sized shrub having pawpaws. Yeah. On it. Well, and that's the funny thing is that the pawpaw, the common pawpaw, which mm-hmm. is a simina triloba, the kawpaw, the kawpaw, the the the, the, the dot. I that's I I was imagining C A W. Yes. Paw, and then I had to take my brain away and be like, no, no, no this is the C O period P A W. Sometimes I love that you explained that. I have to explain it to myself. This is anyway, as one learns, as I learn, we all uh. learn. <laughs> so the kappa, uh, Asimina triloba, that is the one that has the big fruit. Those are that's the money maker. Okay, and of course, when we were talking about the hedge apple, otherwise known as the Osage orange. Oh, we brought up the Sage idea orange. of a. Uh, chronological or in this case an ecological anachronism yes do you recall what that means do i ever not oh i was willing to be like let's hear it ecological anachronism yes no i don't remember this at all okay so it's essentially the idea that something is ecologically out of place oh but in the sense of of time yes i do remember now okay yeah so a uh for those of you who are also trying to remember out there in the ether um the osage orange was our example because it's this big gigantic fruit that is eaten by nothing at all today but thousands of years ago there were way more big mammals that roamed its natural habitat the megafauna the megafauna of of eons past maybe not even eon literally i think like 11 12,000 years ago your giant sloths yes your cave bears yes and uh, horses camels that kind of thing yeah uh, glyptodonts my favorite Ooh, which one's that sorry uh, they're like the weird elephant kind of creatures that have like yeah they have uh, uh tusks that grow straight outwards yeah yeah rather than like out and over it looks like just your two bottom main teeth just kind of go whoop straight out like the, a spear the battering ram yeah just i don't know how they ate anything they must have they, i i can understand why they they kind of didn't last no offense <laughs> yeah, not a great design well, nature not a great design but it worked apparently for long enough for it to evolve and become a real thing so anyway yeah, i'll give credit i'll give credit yeah. uh regardless so these uh, these plants would have been in their prime, eaten by a bunch of things. Those things all disappear, so now they are left with this anachronistic fruit that no longer serves any purpose, or in other cases, um, gigantic spines that protect them against nothing because mm. there's nothing big enough that actually gets affected by the spines that would also be interested in eating something on that tree. Right, like a bird could just land on the spine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like, okay, this is completely pointless. Right. Um, so in this case, everything in the species, uh, I'm sorry, in the, in the genre that is, other than those eight uh, that are here, they all grow in South American tropical areas. Yes. Um, the Anonaceae. Nice. This is such a hard to pronounce episode <sighs> it's it's <laughs> tough man some of these really some sometimes sometimes we have these like i don't know i feel like it's specific trees just have a lot of stuff yeah, going on that they do. with all these big words it's very frustrating it, it is it is nice knowing that you also have a hard time oh, with it and I, no. I'm, I'm sorry to you know kick you while you're down but hey. it is <laughs> it does make me feel better for having a hard time with it. i go yeah. if somebody like casey can have a hard time with these words wow that's really sweet of you thank yeah, you well, well 
we're here on the same level, Alex. That we're, sounds great. We're doing this together. Well, the, it's the Ananaceae, which Ananaceae. is the, the custard apple family. Yes. And that has something like 2,400 different species in that family of a bunch of different genre. Almost exclusively, I think like something like 90% grow only in the, the tropics and subtropics yeah. um, of South and North America always very interesting when you have that like one or very few outliers where you're like why exactly are those outliers there yeah and it turns out it is exactly what we were all suspecting they were brought up by glyptodonts etc there you go and the that those relationships um were initially developed over millions probably of years as these animals migrated up, once the, uh, the, the Isthmus of Panama connected, mm-hmm. then A, turns out that actually changed like the, the way the oceans went. For those of you who don't know, the Isthmus of Panama is that section of land connecting North America and South America. That didn't used to be there. Really? Yeah. So you had South America was completely um, faunally and florally cut off from the rest of the world. It was mm. isolated. So things develop there over a long period of time um, because, of course, it's tropics, so everything's kind of a little bit accelerated uh, beyond normal uh, rates of uh, evolution anyway. So you end up getting uh, this isthmus got connected. It changed the the flora and fauna because all of a sudden these giant sloths could just saunter straight up into Mexico, up into the south of the United States, into the Great Basin. You get the same thing with a bunch of different llamas and species like that. Hmm. So you get this really interesting like migration over time of the, the plants and the animals. So with that, they're pretty sure came this uh, this interesting subsection of Ananaceae, which is what we now call the pawpaw. So, Casey, when you say that megafauna brought the uh-huh. pawpaw from South America yeah. up into North America, uh-huh. what we're talking about is them eating the fruit, them pooping along the way. Yeah. It, it, the tree grows, does. as one does. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend like you haven't done it. Don't pretend. We've seen you. Don't pretend like you haven't taken a dump while crossing the Isthmus. <laughs> of Panama. <laughs> Everyone does that. Um, and then, you know, they that a tree grows there. Maybe yeah. a generation later, another one comes up, eats from that tree, takes it a little further. Precisely. And so on and so forth. That is exactly the, the process. Happens I mean, what, over thousands of years, right? I, I don't mean this word literally, but what a miracle. Like, how amazing that that happens. Yeah, it's it's the, the fun thing when everyone says plant migration. Everyone's like, plants don't move. And it's like, they do. Uh-huh. They just don't move the way that you are 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 conditioned to accept movement. You they just know? need a vehicle. Yeah, exactly. And that is the you know innards of gigantic uh, elephantine and sloth-like creatures. Very cool. Yeah. So that's a, that's what happened over a long period of time. Um, so as I said, when that isthmus came, it also changed the climate pretty drastically, mm. where there used to be like currents going between. Then those currents ended. Then they had a shift going other places. So then... That affects everything from the weather to the climate to if there's going to be uh, rain coming somewhere or, or all these crazy different like repercussions, ramifications, if mm-hmm. you will. 
But the interesting thing that happens also as this all these weird climactic things happen is you get speciation. So you get the pawpaw develops the ability to go and live in way cooler temperatures where way back then, very potentially, the southeast was essentially a big tropical forest. Uh, way back then, the uh, the area that we now call Oregon had oak trees and uh plane trees and all sorts of different things that don't ever have not grown over here for millions of years Mm. when all these things were happening and moving around those things were actively coming and going so the climate and the animals and the flora and is this connected is it not connected it all has this big background effect that then leaves this weird disjunct population and they call it the um the boreal tropical migration kind of pattern where they see these these things happen over time and then as the heat and the coolness shift back lower then you get a temperate forest develop in the southeast which is what we have now today with these tropical expatriates just kind of still sitting there wow. that are just evolved enough to speciate and then survive in a deciduous uh, temperate forest Casey, off the top of your head, uh-huh. can you name like a few other ecologically anachronistic fruits or oh. trees beside the Osage orange? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the honey locust is a good example. Where's that from? Also the southeast. They have uh, big, long thorns that are like literally several inches long and don't give way to anything. Uh, And they have these long pea pods. They're in the pea family that are probably upwards of a foot long. And they are pretty dry, but they have really big beans in it. So if you uh, were a big animal, you could just nom on a bunch of those and then just call it good. Can we eat those beans? No, no, we don't eat them at all. Really? Yeah, no human eats it. Wow. Uh, There's also the um, Kentucky coffee tree does this. One of those over there? Uh, no, no, that's an actual coffee plant. That is that is coffea. It has these little tiny beans. The Kentucky coffee tree oh. is a gigantic big tree that grows and has um, these big bean pods. Again, it's in the, the bean family, Fabaceae, mm-hmm. um, the pea family. They're these big thick pods that are like, you know, an inch thick. They're like suitcases that are the size of like, you could hold it in your hand, like a kind of like a, a, ooh, it's not thick enough to be like a drink but it's it's a big it's big it's a big pot like a banana yeah it's like a wallet like it's thick and like a wallet that you haven't taken the receipts out for a couple months hey, not my wallet yeah no 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 my wallet also well no definitely not money just receipts receipts <laughs> and maxed out credit cards like george costanza's wallet yes exactly that's yeah. like that's the the size of a kentucky coffee tree pod <laughs> and, and those pods are like no one eats them for a while people uh, made a made kind of a coffee drink out of it and they had this kind of uh sort of caramel flavor to it you can get the smell a lot um but it certainly wasn't coffee they don't have any caffeine in them that i know of okay um but they're big enough and succulent enough with like this pulp in between that animals probably just went and ate those i see so these were all plants that were that migrated yes exactly well they those i don't know if those migrated i don't want to i'm not sure about that okay but those are at least anachronistic in that they developed with these animals and those animals are no longer here but the plants still exist and they still have these uh these fruits i see other people would say potentially the joshua tree uh Mm. or rather i'm sorry the um not the Joshua tree, the yucca, a lot of species of yucca, which is, you know, Joshua tree. Um, but they have uh, these really big, gigantic fruit pods that are like 
10 or 15 feet up in the air. Yeah. And they were thinking, well, we've actually seen this in the dung of sloths, so we know that they used to eat them. But they're not quite, they haven't quite said, eh, it was the, the reason that these pods existed was to be eaten so that then they could have their seeds spread. Because the plants still spread themselves today, so it might have just been a nice thing, you know? No one's really sure. What about like a pineapple or a durian? Those are probably the case uh, also, but the big thing about that is, like I said, down in South America, maybe not as many, but there is still larger animals that would eat these things today. So okay. there's a lot of bigger birds that are fruit of, fruit, fruit of, fruitivores. Whoa. Oh my God, another word. <laughs> I was going to try and say fruit, fruitivorous. Fruitivorous. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they only eat fruit. Um, but then there's also, like I said, monkeys and things like that that would also be perfectly happy grabbing one with their hands and then just scarfing on that. Okay. Um, but yeah, you're probably right. A lot of those big fruits, um, the theory goes, developed when there were larger animals that could eat them in their entirety, the way we would eat a, ras- uh, a raspberry conglomerate fruit. Right. Yeah. Also, aren't maybe I'm maybe I'm like mixing things up, but aren't durian dehiscent in a way? Ooh, I don't know. I'd actually I can't uh, I can't give you a good answer because I I don't know much about them. Well, we should cover that tree someday. We absolutely should. It's like the biggest fruit period or something like that. It's yes. like the size of a medium-sized toddler. It's like several heads big. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always going to measure things in heads. <laughs> I, can I have like a quarter head of beef? Yeah. How, uh, how long a couch do you need? About <laughs> 15 heads. 15 head. That's when you start getting investigated. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, God. My well, closet is about 30 <laughs> heads deep. Alex, I... Uh, I think you need to stop there, man. <laughs> well, so what's curious about about this is that that is like this is how the the pawpaw developed ecologically speaking. Yeah, right? it would be eaten by these big animals, and then it would be uh, spread by them. Those animals disappeared. Uh, go listen to our our. Um, uh, Osage Orange episode to hear all a bunch of little ideas about what exactly happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we can look at the pawpaw. We can see where it grows. It used to grow in these only like riparian areas, like where there was really good conditions. It was very moist. They wouldn't become gigantic tall trees, um, but they would also sprout from the roots really often. Either new shoots from the base, or they would just have, you know, a root comes out a little bit, and then it just sends up a new sucker for whatever reason. Yeah. So, this specific plant has this vegetative reproductive uh, capability, just like the, the aspen. And so, scientists actually said, well, based on the fossil history, and based on just like, we listened to what, uh, or we looked at what we could in terms of uh, when first explorers came over. Where were they growing? What did they say about it? Um, Talk to the native peoples and see, you know, do they plant them? Do they grow them? Do they just go find and forage them? Um, And they essentially learned that there used to be way more everywhere when there were, you know, 10,000 year old, uh, or 10,000 years ago when there were animals that would eat them all the time. Yeah. Uh, then, as those animals disappeared, their range, or at least where they would grow, started to shrink. They found them only in these certain areas, and they found them in these big groves. And these groves were made up of all these uh, genetically similar sprouts that come up. So you have like this little tiny pando, essentially, right? Oh, wow. What kind of reproduction is that called? Uh, That is vegetative reproduction. Okay. So it just sends out a shoot, and then now you have two trees. But really, it's, it's one tree that's connected by roots underground. Okay. And so you end up getting this like shrinking. And then, uh, 
funny enough, of all these things that we talked about today, Alex, mm-hmm. there are these uh, anachronisms. Humans don't eat any of them in a way that is going to actually uh, take that seed and move it somewhere else. Right. Except for the biggest fruit of them all, Alex, the pawpaw. Oh, right. We eat the pawpaw. <laughs> that is the one of all the, the anachronistic fruits uh, that we that we still eat. I see. That humans actually consume and move the seeds around. Okay. So, remember I said earlier that the, um, the native peoples actually moved it from its more... Uh, nativist if the the range that is more natural uh-huh. um before humans necessarily got involved that was further in the south but then as soon as humans started to come in and really eat the eat the fruit and then develop more the ideas of oh i can plant this seed kind of um specifically we did the same thing with corn mm-hmm. where we started to essentially create agriculture move the seeds around and find which ones work best and slowly expand the territory of this plant so it goes all the way up into um the very highest reaches of the temperate forest in ontario and new york state all of a sudden, uh, you realize that the the plant itself has made a fruit that used to be great buddies with all these old animals. They all disappear, but this is the only fruit that is still buddies with another big mammal, humans. Right. And now we have picked up the mantle and moved it around and expanded what used to be this tiny little range back up into a huge area. That's kind of a that's a bit of an, a success story. Yeah, Casey. it is. It is. And you know what else? There's one other funny thing that humans have done uh, that have caused it to not only be more prevalent, but potentially maybe the most prevalent tree in our forest as time goes on, let's say in the next 80 or 100 years. Okay, what? So it's not a very tall plant. Maybe it's like, you know, 30 feet tall at most, Uh, 45. uh Uh, Humans have gotten rid of... essentially predators in the east uh, specifically in the east there's no more wolves there are no more uh cougars things like that they're still technically there but they're so rare that if someone says i saw a mountain lion or a puma or whatever they're all the same but they're just different kind of varieties yeah in say the great smoky mountains you get like laughed out out of the show like in in the northeast they're like (laughs) we don't have those here Mm. maybe they do there's like every now and then someone's like I see one. Oh, there's there. But like, oh, 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 was that real? Was it fake? Did you have any proof? Did you see the poop? You know, that kind of thing. Sure. So they're, they're extremely rare, even if they are there. Wolves certainly don't exist. Um, so all of a sudden, Sad. deer populations exploded. We had deer all over the place, especially when uh, in the last, say, 100 years, we really stopped uh, hunting deer in the more intense ways that we used to. Everyone lived on wild game in the 1800s. Now we've switched that over to domesticated cows and other kinds of meat. And now the deer populations have skyrocketed. I see. The best way to kill a deer now is to just blindly hit it with your car because there's so many everywhere. (laughs) Sorry. I just know that that happens so often. It's kind of absurd. Yeah. Especially in the East. So in places like Pennsylvania and the the Mid-Atlantic, there are so many deer with no pressures of of predators coming down on them. So they can just eat and eat and eat. They browse on everything. They're notorious generalists. Yeah. And the one thing that also uh, the the lovely, lovely papa has is really egregiously disagreeable leaves. 
nobody wants to eat their leaves except for uh, apparently one butterfly. That's a they've developed a very close relationship. An, a natural in, uh, insecticide, precisely. Or, excuse me, not an insecticide. No, no, that's right. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was going to yeah. say repellent. Is that the same thing? Oh, uh, yeah, that'll be the same thing. Yeah, because okay. I guess one it doesn't kill them; they just find it to be unpalatable, yes. so they don't eat it. So you're, I think you're technically correct. Okay. It would be a repellent. Yes. Um. So you end up finding that the the deer are going to selectively choose to eat everything else. So if there's a little oak seedling, it's nommed. If there is a um, another red maple, they eat that. Yeah. They'll eat everything else except for beech trees and the pawpaw. Okay. So all, I was, I was going to say all of a sudden, but it's not. It's over a long period of time. All the old big trees, the tall ones that are, you know, 100 feet tall, as those die or as spaces open up, there is only like 90 some percent of the understory is pawpaw. Mm. That is the most common understory um, in places. Um, this was a uh, mid-Atlantic study that was talking. It was the National Park Service looking at their their like capital areas. So um, a couple battlegrounds like Antietam and uh, other places near the capital as well as Harper's Ferry. So these are all national park areas run by the National Park Service. And so they went through and said, well, what, what trees do we have in the understory? And it was like all pawpaw. This is shocking to me. Yeah. I guess I didn't know how, how prolific these trees were. No one really did. At least no one really gave it two, two thoughts. And then they went out and studied it. They're like, wait, hold on. Turns out Pawpaw, which everyone loves, so this is great news, is kind of dominating. And it's dominating because deer don't like it. Mm. So because deer aren't eating it and they're eating literally everything else and there's more deer than you can shake a stick at, everything else is basically suppressed. So then... Only the pawpaw grows up, takes that that I canopy see. space. As soon as things die above them, then there's not going to be any new seedlings because all the oaks are dead and all the oaks uh, or all the acorns no longer exist. They're not coming because there's nothing to produce them. Mm-hmm. Then the only overstory tree is going to be like the American beech, which also is really good at resisting deer brows, and the pawpaw. So people are predicting right now that if all things being equal, we're going to have entire forests of pawpaw, or at least big patches of forest. We have big trees over there, beaches, and then a pawpaw woodland where there's nothing else because the deer have just destroyed it all. And no deer anymore? No, no. We'd have plenty of deer because they're eating literally everything that comes up. They'll go into your yards and they'll eat all that stuff. And then they'll go back out into the forest and be like, sweet acorns everywhere. You know, all the chestnuts. We're going to eat it all. So it's it's an interesting, like the, the interaction humans have had have picked up the the papa seed and literally and metaphorically moved it along yeah. in the relationship that it normally developed with things way before humans ever came onto the scene. Then we've also affected it in another way that it's getting selected for because we have changed the ecological balance of the predator-prey relationship so now the pawpaw is exploding everywhere because deer are like nah i'll rather eat literally anything else they have no taste they have no taste deer are just they're they're kind of they're generalists my friend emily hates deer really yeah oh my god it's 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 one of the thing i we joke about this is one of the things i always share about her with other Uh, people okay she hates deer is it like um is it like she sees a deer and she's like i hate that thing 
and like kind of swerves towards it or something. Or like I know I don't know if she or... would go that far. She's okay. she's not a monster. She's not a yeah, she's she's a pacifist. <laughs> she's a good person. Yeah, but I think she grew up with them like roaming in her yard uh, and they were like a nuisance. I gotcha. And like they they spit and like hiss and yeah. shit. You know. Uh, can I can I share something with you? Sure. I kind of feel the same way about horses. Do you really? I'm not a horse person specifically. Wow. You know how some people are like all of like equius like they're about horses yeah. in like ways that are a little bit like whoa right i get it i am the opposite i i'm, I'm like your friend emily i think um if i saw a horse i'd be like great there's a horse let's move on wow this is this yeah. is uh i don't know how i feel about this yeah, well don't get me on the subject now but uh wild horses in the west Next time on Completely Arbitrary. Another time. <laughs> Another time. Casey, let's get into our review of the pawpaw. Let's do it, Here's Alex. how it goes. We're going to give some final thoughts and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 Golden Cones of Honor. As our resident expert, we will begin. Avec toi. I am looking at the flower right now, and I love it. Great. Alex, I think that this tree, um, honestly, I have to give it a lot of credit for solving a bunch of problems. Like, it's somehow maneuvered its way into like two interesting niches where its fruit is delectable for everything that is able to move its fruit around yet it is unpalatable in other realms like its leaves to the point where nothing wants to kill it yeah so you get these two things it's like it it is actively the best at surviving and moving itself around. It shoots up from the roots. It grows anywhere nowadays, and everyone wants to grow it and eat it. What a powerhouse. Powerhouse, and then at the same time, only one beautiful butterfly species is like into it. So it's like, okay, great. The one thing that it does allow that does find its leaves palatable is this gorgeous butterfly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name this butterfly so everyone can actually look it up. The zebra swallowtail. Wow. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Like, it's a stunning little little plant. Or, I'm sorry, little butterfly. It's neither a zebra nor a swallow. Yeah, but it has Discuss. a tail. Well, actually, I don't even think it has a tail. Either way. What a wackadoo. It's gorgeous. So, I, I, love, I love this plant. I think it's really great. It solved every problem. And as you know, I like plants that, like, are kind of like, yeah, hey, uh... <laughs> done it you know yeah, they're kind of yeah. like the, the millionaire startup who kind of pulls their pulls themselves up and then is like yeah listen i did this myself sure i've used you all and you didn't even know it <laughs> and i really like that it has this good fruit that i you know allegedly i would love purportedly so, you're gonna love that yeah, fruit yeah exactly so um however i don't know uh that it is a really delightful tree in like a a setting where you plant it in your front yard it sprouts a lot it's good for the tree bad for you know having a tree in your yard that doesn't sprout sure um the other thing is that it doesn't get very big it's uh, it's an understory tree but it's an understory tree that is like low-key taking over the overstory mm -hmm. without going into the overstory that's pretty sick I'm going to give this a, an 8.3, Alex. That's solid case. Yeah, I think this is I think this is solid. It's got everything going for it and if the only things I can like pull it back a little bit is that it's it's not like a big it's it's not a gigantic tree and it's not a conifer. And it's not a conifer. You're and it doesn't grow on the west uh, coast. That's... Yeah, so you know. So yeah, I think 8.3 is what I'm going to go with on All this. Right. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. 8.3 golden cones of honor for the paw paw from dendrologist Casey Clapp. Case, here's what I think. What do you think, Alex? I think this tree basically has it all. Yeah. It's it's got the people's vote. People love it. Mm -hmm. They've let us know. It's got delicious fruit, so they say. Allegedly. 
it's got hey you know we talk about utility bark yeah this thing has the opposite of utility bark yeah it's just i think i think you called it utility bark yeah potentially from the outside but if you break this bark open oh my word it is so stringy and fibrous yeah i read that it's used to make ropes mm-hmm. in a survival situation you know you're out there and you, you all you can find is pawpaws you got yeah. everything you need it's true. The fruit is super high in vitamin. It's like a superfood. It's got shit tons of vitamin C and D and B. It's a it's a nice looking tree. It's got curious looking flowers. A little a little that. alien, I think. It, okay, th- I think that's a good description of the of the flower. Alien, a little bit alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little fleshy. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, yeah, all right, fine. It's a little abominable. It looks like one of those, uh, like, uh, it looks like an eyelid or something. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you keep going. I gotta give the Papa 9.0. 9.0. And here's the thing, Case. Wow. Come September, come, come September, if somebody sends me some pawpaws and I eat them and the fruit is delicious, uh-huh. I will revise my score to a 10. Wow. Wait, wait. You're going to automatically give it a whole other, a whole other gold cone. Un, like this is, this is, you know, sight unseen. Delicious fruit. Well, no, I, this is, this is, this is uh barring, untasted. barring judgment later. So I'm yeah. giving it a nine right now. I understand. But if I eat that fruit and I like it. Okay. It's getting a 10. Wow. I guess what I'm asking is like, that's that's a stunning thing. Like, it, it's a binary choice here. It's like, do I like it? Yes. 10. It's yeah. not It's not like, meh, it's pretty good. Almost um, because I'm sure I will like it. Wow. Okay. This is really exciting. The stakes here are so high. I'm, a 10. Yes. A 10, Papa. Do you hear that? Do you hear that, Papa? No, 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 no. I'm not promising a 10. Oh, I know, but I'm saying like- I'm promising the potential of a 10. I'm saying- Don't get your hopes up, kid. Yeah. Keep your, keep your pants on. Yeah. But uh, just know what you're dealing with here. You're swinging for the fences. Yeah. 9.0. Huh. Okay. That was our review of the Papa. We hope you liked it. It's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. This week's question is from Paul Colvin. Hi, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul asks, I have a question about tree pests. I planted some trees this summer, and we had an especially bad year for Japanese beetles. I would inspect the trees each day and remove all the beetles I could find. My question is about defoliation. How much of a tree would need to be defoliated in order for it to potentially die or have serious growth or health issues? Casey, a couple of things. Yeah. Paul puts two spaces after his periods like you do. Oh, what a gentleman. I'm a scholar. (sighs) Also, please define defoliation. Uh, Defoliation is the process of removing all the leaves or foliage from a thing or some amount of it. Okay, that makes sense. So foliate, foliage, defoliating. Got it. Okay, so Casey, uh-huh. how much of foliage can a tree lose before it loses itself? You know, this is a fun. This is a fun concept. Uh, basically, you have a tree, right? It's grown. Put its out uh, leaves in the springtime. Uh, now. Everything that it is then getting from those leaves, all the energy, mm-hmm. is, is a positive net gain. They've used all the energy to make their thing, their solar panel. Now their solar panel is just crushing sugars straight down into their roots. Yeah. So as soon as you take those away, 
the tree then has to say, okay, I have to now use the reserves that I either had before or that I had built up already and then put out new leaves. A tree can use uh, sugar reserves from a previous year. Yeah. And it can, from a, oh yeah, from the previous year or from that current year. So let's say this happens, they put their leaves on in May, uh-huh. then they get defoliated in June. They can use those reserves that they either built up between May and June uh-huh. or that they had stored from previous year's uh, work and then grow new leaves from the buds that they set that same year. Interesting. Fascinating thing. This is actually something they do in bonsai quite often Mm. where you'd have a tree. It puts out, let's say, two-inch long uh, leaves normally. And we have to remember a bonsai tree is a normal tree just grown a very specific small way. Right. So if there is, if it's normally an elm tree that has two inch long leaves, what they'll do is they'll let the whole thing go funk, put on its whole new dress of leaves, and then they will go through one by one and clip off every single one of those leaves. The next leaves that come out are going to be way smaller because now the tree's like, oh man, I used up so much energy and I also just just built these buds this year so I don't have enough energy and I can't give enough energy to put out brand new big gigantic leaves. They haven't (laughs) stored up enough stuff. Wow, so it literally has less energy to make leaves so it makes smaller leaves. Exactly. (laughs) And then when it makes these smaller leaves, they they, they fit the size and scale of the bonsai tree. Uh, I I imagine like a chicken laying like quail's eggs. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I got this uh, year. That's, yeah, it's like, sorry, it's a really bad year for the crops, you know? Well, that's what they do. And this actually happened in mass, um, in mass, in mass, um, up in New England. Wow. Uh, years ago, I think in the 90s or something, the 80s, there was a, a huge outbreak of gypsy moth. Wow. And uh, gypsy moth is a moth that lays caterpillars. Those caterpillars then grow and they ate everything like oak trees and sycamore trees you name it they Mm. just went ham there are pictures of uh massachusetts and new england like i think is the the hampshire mountains over in the west the berkshires i'm sorry um they would it would look like you're in winter time would you (laughs) just see like trees that completely have no leaves on them christ but it was from like july that's amazing. Yeah, it was a stunning thing. Like the whole, everyone went crazy. They're like, this is the worst outbreak. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, they've since worked on a bunch of other stuff. So that hasn't really happened since. Mm-hmm. But they do get outbreaks on individual trees, individual areas. And now the Japanese beetle is doing that all over the place. And they'll just eat so many things. It's kind of crazy. They're normal looking beetles. And we have a, fo- a couple of them here in, um, in Oregon, but they just munch down on everything. And they just like, especially like roses here in the Rose City. Really? Big problem. We're very worried about them. I don't know if I've ever seen a beetle. Oh, you have. Oh, my gosh. Unless you're counting Paul McCartney. Oh, uh, well, I think we are. I think we are. seen him plenty of times. Well, we're going to have to show you some beetles. You, you don't get out and like move sticks and rocks around very often. So. No, it's not yeah. one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, that's okay. Don't is worry. That, is that how you find them? You yeah. lift rocks and they're yeah. underneath there? Yeah, yeah. Or you just like be walking around and, and, and looking intensely at something and then a beetle will walk by. Okay. Yeah, they're very, very common. Well, um, uh, a ladybug. A ladybug is a beetle. Oh, I've seen plenty there of beetles. You go. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we're good. Can I tell you a, hor- a horror story from my childhood? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I have this very distinct memory of one summer uh-huh. in my childhood bedroom, and the the uh, screen of my window. Yeah, I woke up and I lifted my shades, uh-huh. and my screen was 
completely dark oh. with ladybugs. <laughs> That's terrifying. And I flicked the screen. Yeah. And they all went <laughs> and landed right back. They made a little they made a little pulse oh wave. Oh my god. And landed right back on my screen and I freaked out. <laughs> yeah, that's like like you go downstairs and like everything around you is covered. Yes. Your, your dog has been completely eaten. You're like, oh my God, what's happening? It was like a Stephen King novel. It I was, was say, so yeah. terrifying. That sounds awful. So I, I, for a long time, I had a bit of a phobia. Yeah, you may not like beetles then. Well, I, I actually, I like ladybugs now because oh, my okay. mom was a big fan of them. Mm-hmm. So whenever time I see a ladybug, I think, ah, hey, there's, hey, there's a... Stay um, over there. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. I enjoy you from afar. <laughs> Well, the, the, everyone should enjoy these beetles from afar as well, unless you're in J- Japan, in which case that's okay. They're also, fine. unless you're a rose, then you want to yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. enjoy them from afar. Very far. far. Well, it turns out that uh, a tree can come back from that. So okay. those trees over in New England, they did the same thing. Um, I had a northern red oak that I let get a little too crunchy. I just didn't water it, and we had a big hot day. Mm. Um, then all the leaves got crunchy, fell off, and then it grew a whole new crop of leaves later that summer. Yeah. So trees will do it. Um, The reason that they don't do it, obviously, is because they only want to do it once. That's the best energy use of their time. Once a year. Once a year. Put their leaves on, keep them for the entire growing season, then drop them. Put on new leaves the next year. Casey, after last year's heat wave that burned a bunch of fucking trees, Mm -hmm, immediately mm -hmm. after... So many trees had brand new, fresh growth yeah. on them. Same exact thing, except in this case, it wasn't the insects that damaged right. it, it was the, the temperatures. Yeah. So um, the question, though, also says, well, how many times can this happen? That is a really good question because you can keep on stressing the tree, but at one point, it might just be like, nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm going to wait till next year. It's not worth it. There's, it's, the temperatures are too hot now and I'm already dormant. I'm just going to stay dormant. There's a risk reward factor here. Yeah, exactly. But at some point, if you just keep doing it, you'll certainly kill the tree because it's using energy to rebuild all of its stores and put out new leaves. Um, And if it can't store any of that energy, then it doesn't have energy to live through the summer or the, I'm sorry, the wintertime and then put out new stuff in the summer. Mm. So um, I would say you could probably get away with one, probably get away with two in one given growing season one time but if you keep on doing that over and over every growing season the tree is probably going to end up slowing down and either dying or being susceptible to diseases because it doesn't have enough energy to fight back grow and reproduce all at the same time it's almost like an immune system exactly yeah yeah the the tree itself is its own immune system Mm. so if you damage it you're damaging the the immune system and its response is going to be reduced that's a really good it's a really good uh descriptor i think and it can only do that so many times before or its immune system is shot and it goes, yeah. well, time to die. Exactly. And it's just, it can't fight back. It's not that it is like unable to like, you know, it's not unhealthy in a traditional mm-hmm. sense. It's just, yeah, it, it can't, it just can't do it. It's almost exhausted, like you're saying. There you go. So uh, that's I, that's the, the answer to the question. So keep on pulling the beetles off, uh, but also give the tree water. Water is going to be helpful for it. To fight off the beetles? Yeah. Don't don't fertilize it, please. Uh, all that does is add more stress sometimes where the, the plant is like, ah, it's too hot. Like there's too many chemicals. I, I can't handle this. And then it can get stressed out for that. So just add water if it's a native tree or it's growing in an area that need some but you can also um treat it for different things so you know you can talk to your local extension or arborists and, and kind of get to the bottom of how you can solve the outbreak of the beetles if you can otherwise give us some water and just let it go did you know alex 
Uh, if you add too much phosphorus or nitrogen to plants, that actually encourages insects because their leaves are like, ooh, baby, I'm good. And they put out really dark green leaves that are really full of nitrogen. The plant's really healthy, but insects are like, oh my God, that looks delicious. And mm. you actually get more insects coming on plants that have more nitrogen because everyone wants that nitrogen. So if you fertilize plants, to help them get away from something, you might actually increase that thing you're trying to get them away from by making them, quote, healthier. Of course I knew that. Isn't that ironic? I knew you did. Preach in the choir, Alex. Thank you so much for your question, Paul. If you have a question about trees, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-O-I pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. If you wish to support this podcast... With a monthly subscription, please do at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. You can join the Arboretum and get two bonus episodes a month about other related topics and trees or the Cone of the Month Club. Get a unique die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist sent to you in the mail every month. It's a lot of fun. Casey Clapp. It is a lot of fun. We've come to the end of this paw-paw episode. We have this uh, ep- 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 episode. Okay. Epopasode. All right. <laughs> I like it. Oh. I do wish that we had a couple paw-paws to cheers with right now. Uh, and, and That would be really nice. We could, we could uh, go out to our music, Milk by the Mini Vandals. Yes. Eating paw-paws. But yeah. alas, that will have to wait until September. When um, someone sends us some pawpaws. That's right. Honestly, if we say it too much, we're going to get too many pawpaws. You know, I also heard that they are a diuretic, so if you eat too much, you'll just, get, you'll just go straight through you. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> keep that in mind. Uh, reach out to us uh, so we can confirm how many pawpaws we will, in fact, be getting. Yeah. I, we we want to coordinate, like a potluck. Yeah. It's a potluck. <laughs> it's a pawpawluck. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Send us pawpaws. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 